is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. So I'm here in our offices with my gospel co-conspirator, friend, co-laborer, Steve Wright. We're in our offices in sunny South Florida. Today we hear background noise on the microphone, Steve, because we have so much construction going on at Family Church. It's like a war zone around here. It's like a war zone. So if you guys hear hammers and nails and machines or whatever, that's what it is. But look, we got a hot topic right now for us at Family Church. We're doing multi-site for the rest of us. And I would say that we have more people asking us about how we do multi-site than anything else that we do. Would you agree with that, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, Jimmy, you know, this is a national conversation, and I think it stems from a lot of people just really being very restless and being very concerned about, church, you know, their church, their effectiveness. And when they look at the mission of their church, really the game of addition just really does not make sense. And so a lot of them are trying to say, hey, what can we do to speed this up to make more disciples? And because of that, you know, it's they're asking the same question we're asking, right? So this is a question we're asking. And, you know, our listeners can go back and listen to our two first two episodes about why you and I have abandoned the regional mega church and why we've adopted and embraced a network of neighborhood churches. And so today in this episode, we're going to talk about five reasons why we believe that multi-site is the way to go. Well, look, Steve, when we have these people call us, they're people of their churches of all sizes, right? So like talk about some of the typical churches that would call you kind of typical questions they would ask. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of churches that call us, Jimmy, they're churches that would, you know, be all shapes and sizes. They have a lot of models, but a lot of them are churches that are kind of, they kind of feel like they're stuck. And so their churches, maybe they're hitting the 200 Mm -hmm. barrier. They're churches that are really struggling. Maybe they're having staff transitions. Maybe they are just tired. They're trying to get momentum in their church. And so they're seeing some of the things that are happening here in South Florida. They're encouraged by that. And they're just saying, Hey, what could we do? And quite honestly, Jimmy, I think a lot of them are realizing that there's a limit and a scope regionally with a, with a one church trying to yeah. reach an entire region. Right. And so the multi-site, I think a lot of them are intrigued by that conversation because what ends up happening is they start saying, what about areas and what about people groups in their yeah. counties? How do we reach those? And so the multi-site solution or strategy may be of interest to them. Yeah, and I I think what I've been amazed about, Steve, is we've continued to do this. We've had churches of 200 call us, churches of 500 call us, churches of 1,000 call us, churches of 5,000 call us and say, hey, talk to us about what you're doing with this network of neighborhood churches. And we do have some some reasons why we have become convinced. These are some things we have learned about why multi-site is so crucial. The the number one reason that we pursue this strategy is we believe that the the multi-site strategy is consistent with the New Testament pattern, right? right? So I don't think the Bible prescribes, hey, here's how you're supposed to organize a church. But I think the Bible gives us some boundaries and some guidelines. And part of what you have to do when you look at ecclesiology, because it's not directly addressed in a lot of places, when you look at ecclesiology, you have to to say what would be consistent with the pattern and the teaching we see in the New Testament. We think multi-side is. For instance, uh, we think that Paul and the apostles kind of practice some kind of a parish model 
in the first century. Now you could say, yeah, but those guys were apostles right. and you're not apostles in the same sense that they were. And that's right. So we got to be kind of careful with that. But Paul did intentionally pass that multi-site parish model pattern down to his disciple named Titus. And in the book of Titus in the New Testament, Paul tells Titus, I want you, Titus, to appoint elders in every town. So Paul's saying, I'm not going to appoint the elders because right. I'm an apostle. You, Titus, my disciple, you do it. You go appoint right. the elders in every town. So Paul had an expectation that there would be this uh, multiplication effect. And there is some kind of relationship, whether you'd say that's a an authority relationship or you'd call it a presbytery or you'd whatever you would call it. There's obviously, the it's maternal. obvious that, yeah, Titus had the responsibility to the appoint term. the elders right. in all of these different towns. So I think it's fair to say there's a connection, some kind of loose authority authority structure among the churches in the first century. We also see our model of multi-site and church planning as a reasonable modern application of this New Testament pattern. So we think trying to legitimize or delegitimize various models based on a narrow interpretation of a few Bible verses that deal directly with ecclesiology is an over-application of what we would call the regulative principle, the idea that the Bible, you know, uh, the regulative principle says uh, you can only do what the Bible specifically prescribes. Right. Okay, we don't we don't believe that. We think God gives us guidelines and gives us a lot of freedom and opportunity to organize in ways that are effective. So we're trying to do a model that's consistent with the patterns and the teaching that we discern in the New Testament. And we want to do a model that is consistent and does not violate those patterns. At the same time, we want to take advantage of the freedom that God gives us to exercise our God-given skills and talents and wisdom in order to be effective pursuing the Great Commission. Absolutely. So, Jimmy, you know, when people begin to have this conversation, obviously one of the big hurdles that they have to scale over or jump over, huge hurdle is the word autonomy, right? So autonomy becomes a huge hurdle for them because they're thinking, you know, if we're going to be, you know, a biblically sound church and grounded in God's word, you know, autonomy is such a buzzword here in the U.S. as as a means and as a practice of how we do church. A lot of them have to understand and get over that idea or, or at least really think through it because if their idea and what they mean by autonomy is that they're not, they're going to be completely separate from other churches and not be interlinked or have a strategic partnership, that's really a huge wall for them to jump over. Now, if they mean by autonomy simply, I do not want a denominational head to be kind of directing me, that's another, right. you know, interpretation. Right. And, and I think that's a really important point because this idea of autonomy, we, we do believe in the autonomy of the local church. Right. But if a local church autonomously chooses to organize itself in a multi-site model, even even as a par- in a parish model, that is an autonomous decision by an autonomous church that still doesn't place it under the kind of papal authority that most reformers and Protestant thinkers are, are pushing back against and have been for several hundred years. Well, one of the things that really shaped our thinking on this, Jimmy, as we began to just really dive into the book of Acts, we actually saw a very collaborative effort in the New Testament of the churches, right? And so when you look in the, in the New Testament and see what those churches actually were doing, they were sharing leaders, they were sharing Paul's teaching, they, were, they shared accountability. I mean, right. For goodness sake, I mean, you had Paul coming in rebuking churches right. and writing letters, and that you know. Right. I mean, you, so, in fact, the first time they ever planted a church, the church in Antioch, as soon as the apostles found out about it, what did they do? Oh yeah, they, they immediately dispatched a group 
to they, go over there and make sure that everything was okay. Yeah, so you you just see these churches working together, and and when and you wonder why in the world were these churches so collaborative? Why were they so uh, interlinked and driven to share resources and to pray for one another? Well, they really understood a worldwide vision that Jesus had given them, yes. and, and and it really drove this this idea of how they had worked together. I mean, the the vision and the mission was so large. They had no other option except to collaborate and work together. Yeah. And, and too, you know, in an environment like we have in the United States where you don't really have a lot of government pressure on churches. I mean, I know we complain that we do and we right. demonstrate and blog about it. But the, but, the, but the bottom line is in the, in the scope of how churches have been treated throughout church history, we have a lot of freedom in our society to do a lot for right. the Lord. And some of the things that we argue about in terms of autonomy are kind of what I would call first world problems for, <laughs> right. for churches. And uh, really, when when you feel, when the pressure really hits, that's where churches get a whole lot more collaborative because right. they actually need each other. So the number one reason we think multi-site's a good idea, we think it is consistent with the biblical pattern. But the number two reason we believe in multi-site is we think it's because multi-site undergirds our mission focus. And we think that this is one of the most important reasons for any church to go multi-site. We see multi-site as very evangelistically effective in terms of generating more gospel conversations and more gospel congregations. As you said a moment ago, we think it helps us go further, faster. We think it helps us get into multiplication more consistently and frankly, more economically. One of the things that we've learned from a guy named Arthur Flake back in the 1920s, Southern Baptist, that's our tribe, Southern Baptists got really serious about the architecture of Sunday school. And Arthur Flake provided the underpinning of that with something he called Flake's formula. Some of our listeners might want to Google that. We'll put some links up on that in the show notes. But Flake, his, his number one principle for growing Sunday school and multiplying small groups was that new groups grow faster. So if a church wants to grow their small groups program, Flake said, you've got to start new units. Well, we think that Flake's formula works for churches as well. Right. And so if you want to grow and reach more people, new churches reach people faster. And Kevin Ezell, the president of the North American Mission Board, recently uh, gave a report to the Southern Baptist Convention, and he said, look, new churches are baptizing more people as a percentage. Right. And, and that would be consistent with what we believe about Flake's formula. So we think that multi-size the fastest and strongest way to make new disciples, start new congregations, especially when you're trying to plant new congregations in what we would call a drivable area. So for us, our number one focus, you know, Steve, you and I talk about all the time is South Florida. We're putting all of our eggs in the South Florida basket. We uh, live on a diverse mission field. And so we're trying to go basically multi-site within about a 50 mile radius of our churches. But once you get outside of that, it's probably better to consider, hey, maybe we should plant autonomous churches, or at least those become a lot more plausible because now the opportunity to gather congregations and gather people, the opportunity to gather leaders for training becomes much more difficult. I'm not saying we wouldn't go beyond that, but right now we're kind of saying, hey, in here, we're doing multi-site for church planting. Out there, we're really looking harder at autonomous autonomous churches. I think that's been a pretty good thing for us, don't you think? Well, absolutely. I mean, Jimmy, if you look at what's happened at our church over the last few months and years, I mean, obviously we've multiplied a lot of units, if you want to call them that, or churches. And because of that, I mean, our church has really grown. We've we've made more disciples and we're making more disciples than we've ever made before. And quite honestly, Jimmy, I mean, you just really have to understand our mission. I think a great example of why 
this is so imperative is a, a great example would be our what you and I are learning about our Slavic Russian Russian oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. people, right? Talk about that. Well, you know, you, when you think about the 400,000 Russian speaking people here in South Florida and the fact that they're, you know, over the last year and a half as we've researched this, we have found two churches. One church runs about 35 or 40 people. The other church runs about 12 to 15 people. So there might be some more Russians to, to reach. There's some, more Russian, to there's some more Russians right. to reach. And so if you think about that demographic and just the potential mission and the, you know, just the the vast lostness of that group and that there are two churches, you you and I, I mean, we can't have a strategy that says we're going to plop one big church in the middle of all of these Russian speaking people and hope that that works out. We actually have to plant thousands of churches to reach all of these people. And so when you start thinking about regions and re, you know regional areas that we need to reach in our churches, really the multi-site is an option that is now plausible that we kind of think this is a strategy that would really help us. And so this this multi-site effort that you and I and many churches across the country have embraced, it really accelerates the pace of change for traditional churches. And that's true of our church. And over the last seven years, we've gone from one church in one location to eight campuses, you know, like I said, in seven years. And in the next couple of months, we're going to have 11 campuses. Right. So it's really neat how this has if we, happened. If we survive. If we survive it. And, <laughs> and, and Jimmy, you know, you just think about the number of of our smaller churches, they are actually impacting us. They're actually driving us. They're actually giving us content. They're actually helping shape the changes and accelerating the changes. We're, we're learning a lot from those campuses, although they're a lot smaller. And so that it really does accelerate the pace of change. Well, one of the things that happens too, Steve, when you have a traditional church like ours, if you want to change the music or you want to change the way people dress, or you want to change the way you do an invitation, or you even want to change the name, it's hard to change the name of a downtown First Baptist Steepleson Column, hundred and something year old church. That's right. hard. Right. It's easy to to do a different name when you launch a new site. Right. It's easy when you launch a new site. So basically, what happens when you launch a new site? All the stuff you wish you could change quickly at your original site, which you can't. Right. You can change immediately when you launch the new site. Right. And if you're entrepreneurial. Yeah, this gives you an oper- a lot of opportunity. One of the things that we like to say is we're we're kind of like a gospel learning laboratory, right? So we're like the little mice. You know, we're experimenting, we're trying things. We don't always get it right, but th- it does give us opportunity to try a lot of new things. No question. And one of the cool things that happens though is like you say, well, over here we're going to do the music differently, or these people are going to dress down, or we're not going to have Sunday night church, or we're going to change our name. Well, what happens is when that begins to succeed and catch catch on, catch some traction, the people at the original campus all of a sudden start to complain. Hey, <laughs> yeah. how come they get to wear yeah, that and they right. don't have to have this and they get to do that? And why do they, maybe we should think about yeah, that. Why can't oh, we try would it? y'all guys like to try that? Okay, yeah. well, we'll try that. And so it actually accelerates change because it does give you multiple apps. And when you have multiple campuses, you can have multiple experiments going on at the same time and all of you can learn a lot. So I think, you know, it, it's consistent with the, with the New Testament pattern. Uh, multi-site really does help our mission focus towards multiplication. Multi-site accelerates the pace of change for traditional churches. We've really experienced that. But number four for us, multi-site is a long-term church planting strategy. When it comes to church reproduction, we've chosen the mammalian model of reproduction over the reptilian model of reproduction. Steve, talk about what I mean by mammalian and reptilian. Yeah. So, you know, obviously 
mammals. I mean, we, we obviously have our offspring and hopefully one day we hope that uh, we are able to launch those uh, children into adulthood. That would be nice. That would be nice. And uh, (laughs) Tina and I are right in the middle of that trying to launch ours right now. And it's always challenging and fun. But, you know, one of the things that we want to do as we look at this from a standpoint of church planting, uh, reptile, you know, they're going to go to the beach. You think about a turtle laying four or five hundred eggs. They're hoping by the end of the, you know, process that there's, you know, several of the little hatchlings that make it back to the water. The birds don't eat them. The fish don't eat them. And some of them survive. And some church planting strategies look a lot like that. They sure do. They're hoping that some of them somehow survive. Throwing a lot of eggs up on the beach, hoping some of them somehow crawl into the water. And so in a mammalian model, you know, you're a lot more hands-on. You're a lot more protective. You're a whole lot more concerned about DNA. You care for your own young. You care for your own young. And the survival rate now really matters a lot more. And so... I would say that our model is a little bit more or a whole lot more mammalian than it is reptilian because we are in the game. We are on our knees praying. We are, you know, skinning our knees. We're, we're in the game with these because we, we really, for the sake of the gospel and the investment that we're having, we really don't want to see any of these churches fail. That's right. That's right. Well, Steve, uh, we've given four good reasons for people to consider the, the New Testament pattern, our mission focused towards uh, multiplication, we've talked about accelerating the pace of change. We've talked about how to make this a long-term church planning strategy because we do think that one day every one of these sites could become a church Absolutely. and probably will. Yeah. All right. So is it likely we have 11 sites in February, uh, 50 years from now, do I think you'll come back and visit Family Church? Wow, these same 11 sites? Probably not. At some point, especially with our model of live preaching, live leadership, probably every one of them will become its own yeah absolutely. its own independent church and that's fine that's not a we don't have a plan to release them people ask me that all the time hey at what point do you release them we don't really have a plan or a goal to release them but we are willing to release them. right well Jimmy too you just think about even our kids I mean people could come up to you and I and say and meet our kids they look like adults they right like a, adults they look yeah, they shave. They sure. shave. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. And sometimes they even shower. So that's really <laughs> yeah. a good day for them, for our boys. But they're not really ready to be launched. There's a lot of things that maybe people looking on, they can look at some of our campuses and say, man, surely to goodness. I mean, that campus has four or 500 people. They're ready to go on their own. They really might not understand the economics. They might not understand leadership issues and other things that are going on. And they might not actually, and you know, our hand is in the glove and our hand is in the game with these churches because we're really protective and we want to make sure, and it's really goes back to that parish model because we want to make sure that these churches uh, survive for their gospel witness and gospel effectiveness. Now, Jimmy, obviously there's always an economic side to all of this in this conversation. Talk to us about the fifth reason why we feel like multi-site's the way to go. Well, the fifth reason I think multi-site's important is that it, it takes advantage of what's called economies of scale. Economies of scale mean that uh, you're able to take advantages of certain certain resources, certain services that a church can provide when it's already a, a fairly large church. So if you come to our downtown, when we were a one location church with two services in English eight years ago, uh, we already had a payroll department. So we have a whole system for payroll. We have a system for insurance, insuring our buildings, insuring our employees. We already have a system. We have a, we have a day school. So we have a whole system for how we hire teachers and certify teachers and we know how the health department works. We HR, we, I mean, what, all, whatever. all of those things. And so, so uh, when, a, when a guy goes to plant a typical standalone church, 
he and his wife are over in the corner trying to figure out how in the world you use QuickBooks to do payroll. <laughs> and they can't figure that out and get bank accounts set up and 501c3 and they don't know. I had a guy call me this week and say, hey, when you guys plan a church, who who holds them accountable for how they spend the money? I said, well, uh, that's you. Right. It's like, well, how do I do that? Right. <laughs> well, right. when you when you have a multi-site model, we have a we have a plan for that. So it takes advantage of the economies of scale. So we're trying to plan a new church, but this guy doesn't have he and his wife don't spend the first month trying to figure out QuickBooks in their home office. We have how, how much time does it take our payroll department to add two people to payroll right. when you already have 150 on there? 30 minutes of data entry, no no problem. All right. How how much time does he have to spend? ensuring his building or making sure his building's up to fire code. We have systems in place that can already do that and then have the margin to incrementally add uh, new units like a new campus. And we might have to add some employees or beef up some things, but it's a lot easier to do it on the economies of scale than it would be for each of these individual churches to be developing their own program for payroll, insurance, you know, all all of that stuff. So taking advantage of the economies of scale is huge. Plus taking advantage of expertise, so each one of these churches has a guy like Steve Wright with 30 years of ministry experience and tons of church planning experience and life wisdom pouring into them. So they're not on their own trying to figure this out as a 25-year-old church planter. They've got a team around them with expertise in children's ministry, student ministry. Conflict management. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Troubleshooting, legal issues, all the things that come up for a church planter. We can come around and the economies of scale allow us to do that. And that's one of the things I think multi-site really, really takes advantage of. And that's one of the things I think is an underappreciated advantage of multi-site. Jimmy, you remember when you and I met with Ray Titus and we took him to breakfast and tell our listeners a little bit about who Ray Titus is. And I mean, what he does with the franchise and how that conversation. Ray Titus owns a company called United Franchise Group, UFG based here in West Palm Beach. He and his dad started that company years ago. Ray sells franchises. So he owns a lot of companies that sell franchises to people all around the world. He owns a company called Sonorama. He owns a company called Embroid Me. He owns a company called Experimac. Experimac. So he has a bunch of these companies. And so you will see storefronts and strip malls all over America and all over the world with these companies. Well, Ray owns all of that. And so what he does is he provides resources and training for these franchisees. These franchisees own and operate their own store, but he provides the resources and the training and the network that enables them to become successful. And he's gotten really good at that. So he's spoken a lot uh, into our lives and into our organization about how we should adapt some of the principles he's learned over the years to to our churches. Right. Okay. Well, Jimmy, this has been a fascinating program and it's, you know, really neat to consider all of the ways that multi-site is happening across the country. Jimmy, you, there are probably guys that are listening to our podcast today. And I, I, what I would say about them is they're, they're on the multi-site fence. Right. I mean, they're thinking about it. They're, you know, maybe considering it. They really don't know. One of the things that you talk a lot about with the churches sometimes that we're working with are two important questions to ask when making a decision. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. Maybe that'll help these guys. Yeah. We may do a whole podcast on this. I think it's really, but, but when you're trying to make an important decision as a church, there's two issues you you have to address. Question number one, is what is the right decision? What is the best decision? And question number two is how do you implement the best decision? Yeah. And a lot of churches get derailed because they never answer question number one because they get frightened away or distracted by question number two. 
So instead of answering, should we start a new church to reach this group of people? They don't answer because they start going, well, who's going to preach there and how are we going to afford it and where, where, you know, whatever. And they get distracted by how do we implement questions and they never really answer. Because what happens is if you answer question number one, what is the best decision? The best decision is to plan a new church. Then you're forced to wrestle through question number two and come up with solutions. A lot of people will use question number two to try to blow a pastor out of the water, get his eye off the ball, <laughs> knock him off the horse so that he never actually pursues new initiatives. And guys, church for the rest of us listeners, don't let them do it. Hey, Steve, it's been an awesome time, this episode of the podcast. And we'll talk more about multi-site next time. I'd like our listeners to visit us at familychurchnetwork.com to get the show notes. Give us your thoughts. Give us your feedback. Better yet, join us for the Sharper Conference coming up March the 1st, 2018. Early bird deadline is approaching. And you can register today at sharperconference.com. And I want you to join us next time on Church for the Rest of Us podcast. And we'll start to unpack how we can do multi-site. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, This is Jimmy Scroggins, and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.